listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. I was listening to uh, something on NPR uh, this afternoon, and this gentleman was talking about how his psychological healing came about through uh, turning inward. And I think this is such an apt way of describing pretty much what it is that we do. Here, we turn inward. then my discursive mind started kind of playing around with this idea of turning inward. And I felt that while there's some tremendous value in that structure, in that metaphor, that we actually turn inward and we begin looking at what's on the inside, ultimately what happens is we begin to recognize that what's inside is what's outside. So in our turn inward, it's not that we discover truth on the inside. It's that we discover that truth is hitting us from all sides. That truth is hitting us from all sides. We just have to be open to it. That's all. And this awakening to this truth is a total accident. And our practice makes us accident prone. So our stillness, as we keep always turning inward, what we will uncover is that all things are within this mindful awareness that we have. All things are within us. All things are us. We are all things. And so that little loop back in allows us to look out upon all things and recognize our face everywhere. When I say our face, or something in Zen we sometimes call it the our, our original face, is everywhere. And it can't be possessed. It's nothing that we own or that we attain or that we have. It just is. And it avails itself to us in the midst of our busy lives, if we can just continually practice this awareness, practice being aware. Practice staring at the world through our original face, the face that we had before our grandparents were born.
Now, when we start speaking in this language, egos flip. They start going, hmm, what, huh? I don't get that. Why is he, why is he talking like, you know, whatever? We, we get into this kind of this weird kind of, hmm. That's really cool. You just got to feel your ego flexing, flexing its muscles. And if you can be aware of the ego flexing her muscles, you are aware of all you need to be aware of. The awareness of that activity, just like the awareness of all activity, is essentially the full expression of our original face. And it's beaming, it's smiling. There's no resistance. That which is looking at the frown has a benevolent, soft smile. That which is looking at the laughter has a benevolent, soft smile. Mythologically, we see this soft smile throughout every single Buddha statue that you see. You notice it's, it's not looking at the world, you know, frowning or it's not doing that. It's just kind of this peaceful, non-specific gaze. And that's the truth of who we are. That is the Buddha within that gets awakened through our being accident prone. Very early on in my practice, I was told that everything that goes on in our minds is either a memory, a judgment, or a plan. Every single thought is either a memory, a judgment, or a plan. And uh, I had this guy once that was sitting in a retreat, a particular retreat, it was called a sashin. In, in the Zen tradition, a sashin is seven days long. And you wake up at 4.15 so that you're in the zendo by 5, and you sit from 5 a.m. pretty much until 9 p.m. with breaks in between and so forth, but not many. <laughs> so it's just a lot of torture. And... Um, I guess it was like my second or third sashin. So I'd gone through this before, but there was a gentleman sitting near me who was making every kind of internal sound you could imagine. <laughs> and I had, I had just this amazing um, dialogue, internal dialogue going on as this guy was, was gurgling, gassing, belching, <laughs> scratching, continually and the first time <laughs> you can imagine how like annoying this was um, because it started at 5.01 a.m. on the first day you know it didn't it, and it didn't stop uh, and I, I had moments right around 2 o'clock on the first day after lunch and I'm not real good around 2 o'clock anyway I'm, I'm sleepy I want a siesta it's the euro in me or something, but uh, I was thinking, you know, I don't know if maybe I should even stay. 
this is brutal. And I kept kind of, you know, said, oh no, this is good for practice. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing kind of kept going through my head. Um, and I kept thinking to myself, memories, judgments, plans. Memories, judgments. The memory was, what was really coming up for me was, you know, I had a situation like this on my first machine. And it was excruciating, you know, so I had the memory thing going. I had the judgment. How selfish, what a jackass this guy is. How come he can't just, you know, learn how to control his internal sounds? I don't know what I was thinking, but it's like, you know, this is just, he has no business being in a machine if he's going to make sounds like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, the planning came up, and that was, Planning as in, want to kill him. <laughs> How do I want to kill him? Ah, <laughs> very zen. Right. But I do it compassionately. So. <laughs> but this, 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 just how long is this going to last? How, you know, this whole thing, like, I, these amazing scripts were going through uh, all the characters on the stage of mind. And this is our work. Our work is to try to uncover these blessings that show up in the form of gaseous people sitting near you in a sashin, troubling situations, depression, doubt, love, any situation. Any situation gives us ample opportunity to practice. I eventually went in for a dokusan uh, meeting with my uh, uh, teacher, and, and I guess he could tell he was kind of perspicacious. I mean, he could see right through, you know, any type of holding I had going on or whatever, and, and he kind of asked me, are you okay? I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and he kind of smiled, and I go, Okay, well, and I kind of laid out the whole situation, and he just kind of started busting up. And, you know, he says, this is perfect. Everything is perfect. Your relationship to this perfection is what allows perfection to either open in you or get clouded from your side, get veiled from your side. So kind of chewed on that for a while, left and went back, and the most amazing things started to happen. I, I started to recognize that, that this whole work is like walking down a path. I had since had it articulated beautifully in, the, in this way, so I just kind of want to share it with you. Walking down a path, if we are on the path to awakening, if that's why we're here in this room right now, if we're here right now for freedom, liberation, enlightenment, Awakening to truth. If that's why we're here, great. Now watch yourself on that path. Because the tendency is to fall prey to those memories, judgments, and plans all the time and get lost. You start walking down the path, and you suddenly have this amazing temptation to go toward old stories, toward memories. It might be... Uh, a recollection of your, uh, you know, how your teen years were so awful. 
It might be the loss of someone. It might be the loss of a dream. Whatever it is, it's like we're walking down the path and it's, it's involuntary. It's like it takes us. And we spin in that little eddy until we re remember. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm here to awaken. Boom, we get right back on the path. And then another temptation arises. Maybe instead of some type of uh, uh, memory, it's a judgment. It's a rumination. It's some type of intellectual fascination that we might have. Worry might be uh, something that happens later, but on the road to worry, we, we hit these judgments. I hate Republicans. Wow. It's not very awake. But that's a judgment. We can catch ourselves every which way when we start looking at our judgments. She is so cold. How could she? Why does he always have, you know, all these, all these judgments that creep in and kind of pollute the purity of our path? The minute we get into that judgmental space, into that eddy, if it's like a, maybe the metaphor instead of a path, a stream is better. If we're on the stream and we kind of get, we're kayaking down the stream, we get kind of launched into these eddies. We remember, oh yeah, I'm here to awaken. Boom, we kind of get back on the path. And we get caught by future speculation or future worry. What's going to happen? What's going to happen if, 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 right? And there again, we get pulled off. We have to keep reminding ourselves to stay on the path, to stay in that free flow of the stream. What gets us there? What gets us out of the, out of the turmoil or the tumult that kind of happens in those eddies? Well, being aware that we're caught, being aware that we are no longer on the, the, the path, that the clarity isn't there any longer. If we can be aware of that clarity, a really beautiful impulse naturally kind of pulls us right back onto this path toward awakening. It's really kind of interesting. The Buddha um, has a... Uh, a fairly complicated teaching. It's called dependent origination, or some people call it dependent co-origination. And basically, uh, if you ever look at a, at a uh, at the wheel of samsara, you know you see those things like the Tibetan um, uh, tankas. The like you have this. It's in the jaws of usually this fiery demon or something, and it's got all these little pictures in it. And at the center is a pig and a snake and a rooster. Greed, hate, and delusion are those those three things in the middle symbolically. And then it has all these little pictures. And I, uh, it, basically, the teaching goes something like this. I'm totally simplifying this. So, so please, I'm, I'm not a Buddhist scholar. But basically, it says we recognize things. We recognize not only these things, but how we value them. Do we see them positively, negatively? Or do we give them kind of a neutral nod? 
okay? And then, once we, we can evaluate whether we like it or dislike it, okay, or kind of neutral, then we either go after it, as in, I want more, or we avoid it, as in, we want less. And in that preference, in that preference right there, we then tilt even further into clinging. Clinging to pull away from whatever it is that's presenting itself, or clinging going into it. And then in that clinging, we realize that that which we are clinging to, or clinging to get away from, can't support us very long. We see that it's temporary, no matter what it is. And in this temporary nature, as it starts to, you know, kind of sift through our fingers like sand, suffering is born. We recognize we're losing something that we thought we could preserve. And as that suffering is born, we begin to act from that place of suffering. And our actions that come from that place of unconsciousness, we can't recognize that everything is temporary. We can't recognize this, you know, this wheel of samsara. We can't recognize that we're caught in an eddy. When we can't recognize this, we feel trapped. So, our shortcut, kind of the way, the, way the, the, the Buddha, he or she or whoever the Buddha was, taught this, is to basically say, let go, let go, let go. Really, let go. That doesn't mean push away. It means literally become very intimate with whatever is arising, no matter how gruesome or how beautiful, how mediocre or how tasty. No matter what it is, can you, can you just be right there with it? Can you be right there with it always, without flinching, without moving? Can you just be right there? That pulls us right back straight to the heart of awakening every single time we can do that. Every single time we can actually meet our experience, no matter what it is, no matter how dark it seems, no matter how shiny and beautiful it seems, if we can meet it with our total attention, the path begins to dissolve. The path itself the stream itself, the road itself, whatever metaphor you wish to choose, it begins to kind of fall apart. And what's left? Space. Our original face. Total and complete and utter forgiveness for ourselves, the trespasses we've committed, and those who've trespassed against us. We see that our cup runneth over always always. We don't have to pour anything more in it. It's full. And this is available here, now. It's not in a, a next life. That's a great eddy for ego. Ego loves that one. Well, blew it in this life, so next life. I'm... Do it now. 
be that freedom now by becoming totally and completely aware of exactly what's going on. And when we can become aware of exactly what's going on without letting that small self jump in and begin to compartmentalize, categorize, and analyze, when we can just be there for whatever is happening without judgment, without clinging, amazing stuff begins to happen. Suddenly the guy that's sitting next to you making all those internal sounds no longer bugs you. It's just resistance on my part. It's just sounds. If he wasn't making those sounds, something else would be going on. And just so you know, something was. There was a cat that was in heat that was underneath the zendo for about the last three days. It made him seem tame compared to this. <laughs> but by that point, the teaching had kind of soaked in, at least in that moment for me. Of course, I got pissed at somebody who cut me off on the freeway on the way home, but that's another issue. <laughs> in that moment, the cat that was in heat, the guy making all the noise, was just fine. They were all echoes of the Big Bang. Every bit of it. And it didn't mean that I was avoiding anything. In those moments, I don't think I've ever felt so alive, engaged. And I'm saying this to kind of be, you know, cheerleader for you guys. This is not about disengaging. It's about totally engaging. It's about meeting everything as it shows up with your full being, with your original face, with infinity, as infinity, through infinity. Dance. And have fun. <laughs> <laughs> Great to see you, by the way. Thank you. I mm -hmm. missed you. Yeah. I missed the group a lot. Yeah. They're pretty good people, huh? Yeah. <laughs> good spiritual friends. Yeah. Right. Um, could you talk a little bit more about the difference between letting go and avoidance? Sure. Kind of you, you covered it a little bit at the end, but I'm still not clear. Yeah. Letting go is releasing, like opening your hand. Avoidance is covering your eyes or turning away. It can't exist without a position, okay? In other words, if you, if you have a position to defend, okay, you automatically are set up for avoidance because you can duck in, in that bunker, you can, right? It's like something's coming, it's like not facing that one. But in letting go, you let go, you, you come out of the bunker and you say, go ahead. Did you ever, I'll give you the best visual example I can think of. Did anyone see um, Dances with Wolves? Mm -hmm. There's a scene in the very beginning. Did you see it? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
There's a scene in the very beginning where he is facing um, certain death, absolute certain death. And he gets on his horse and rides. It's like the only great thing Costner ever did. I mean, <laughs> no offense. I, he's a sweet man, I'm sure, but it's like, geez, how could, I mean, at least he had that, but still. Anyway, he's riding on this horse, and as everybody is loading, loading their weapon, he just throws his arms up like that. Now, it's clearly a Christ motif going on there, but it was absolutely, that's letting go. That's meeting your life fully with total, absolute openness. Now, as it was, he didn't get shot, <laughs> miraculously, if you remember. I mean, he didn't, he didn't get shot. And, and what's, the reason why I think the metaphor holds is that you, you will find if there is non-resistance, if there is non-avoidance, if you just refuse to move when all the demons are coming at you, if you just, you just stay right there and let them chew, you're going to find that they get nothing. They'll get nothing. But that step is so difficult. That step, it's, it's, it's the, uh, another example uh, from film that I saw that I, I thought is, works well in this, in this situation is, I think it was the third Indiana Jones where he has to, he's looking straight down. This is good. I'm, Tele or filmically parabolizing my entire talk here tonight. <laughs> but he has to step off this, this, this cliff. You know which one I'm talking about? The leap of faith. Okay? He steps off and it's there. There's something that holds him. And the same exact thing happens the more we sit still, the more accident prone we become. The more accident prone we become, we realize, oh my gosh, nothing can take what's really eternal in me. Nothing can take what's really important. Okay? So this really is kind of a leap of faith. And this is why I think spiritual friends are so important, because everybody in this room, myself included, is taking a leap of faith every single second. Every single one of us has variance, just like each of our faces has variance. But it's all a face. It's all just a situation that we face, that we're looking at, that we're coming from, that we're dealing with. So when we meet those situations without flinching, we just meet the situation. We ride right into it fearlessly. Amazing stuff starts to happen. We can, we can then operate from that place of, of total surrender, of letting go. And when we operate from that place of letting go, we change everything. So then it's actually not a letting go of something. Is it letting go of everything? Everything is a something, technically. So, so I guess you have things that you personally can look at and let go of. But the minute you let go, uh, Okay, you want the shortcut? Here's the shortcut. You, I'm just going to keep asking you questions. That's fine. That's fine. That's, that's it's, it's great, great that you're doing that. But here's the shortcut. The shortcut is you can let go of individual things all you want. Ultimately, what do you need to let go of? The sense of self. 
that I'm in here and everything else is out there. If you can get through that one, if you can recognize that you can build up ego's structure so that you can identify it, you can feel her skin, his skin, and then you can realize, guess what? You're there on that stage of mind and there's something in the audience. Wow. This thing in the audience sees every single thing that you're doing, small self. It sees everything that you're thinking. It feels everything that you're feeling. It can just observe it with this raw attention, this attentive awareness. And it's never affected by whatever crap you're going through. Whatever successes you have, whatever failures you have, this awareness of you is whole, complete, and timeless. So that's the shortcut. Yes, sir. I'd like to ask you a little bit about uh, getting mad at that guy going home. Yeah. Um, after my, I mean, after my sashin, after I'd had like the bliss of, yeah, sure. situations where I would want that sense of detachment to be strongest. Mm -hmm. It's right there. Right there. And I'm like, I will kill you in two minutes. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. The um, frustration or just, just the experience of well, you know what I'm talking about. Is, sure, is I do, but what's the question? Is there a way to oh. bring this uh, life more into those situations? Yeah. Start small. Okay? And so I was dealing with, it was easy in that, in that moment, it was so easy for me to deal with the cat that was in heat, and then the guy who, still by the end of the sashin, he was, he was making just amazing noises, you know? And so I'd learned to kind of, I'd practice dealing with that. Um, those are comparatively small, as opposed to when somebody does something that you perceive to be very dangerous, it's gonna like take your life and, and so forth. I watched, I watched myself tilt right back immediately, and I didn't stay there very long, and perhaps that was the gift of the, uh, the Sashin. Uh, whereas before, I might have stayed angry. It might have been, you know, it didn't, it didn't stay. Because, um, and this still works to this day. If, if you can be aware of your, of your anger, if you can be aware of your thought, if you can be aware of the arising rage, that which is aware of that arising rage, by definition, is free, free of it. And so what you can do is to find out what makes you angry. You know, the little things in life that make you angry, practice with them. I don't like being late to movies. That's one of mine. And I know I married my wife. 
to help me look at that particular attachment. <laughs> okay? Totally subconscious, but... And uh, I'll tell you, if it's just amazing to me how much less that matters. I just have a sense of um, a situation at work today in a meeting, and I admit I was primed calling in. A very frustrating situation, and I, um, I could see, I could, I can, you know, have the distance, and I can see that I am going to become angry if I'm not. No, you're not. You are never going to become angry, Paul. Anger is going to arise, and then your ego is going to cloak itself with anger and say, proclaim from the stage of mind, I am angry. But you, what's real in you is the audience, and that's never angry. So whatever your situation is, the minute you can, you can when we come back into the audience, we become more accident prone, all right? And the, the accident, quite simply, is the oops, look at that. So the next time, Next time something starts tweaking you, first of all, if you're getting primed, what's, your negativity is a, it's, it's awake. Your negativity, your resistance patterns, what, you know, um, Eckhart Tolle calls them the pain body. I like calling it resistance. But, so your resistance is kind of waking up. Be aware of that. Okay? Be aware of that. That which is aware of that is free of it. And what this does is it gives us a split second before we say anything. So we don't cause damage to ourselves or others. That's wisdom, and that's how we can... Your meetings are going to change so much the minute that begins to infuse dialogue, because it, it affects others. Wisdom has a way of echoing and reverberating in every single soul in any meeting. So, you're never angry, you're never jealous, you're never sad, you're, none of us in this room are ever that. The feelings arise. But we, so start maybe with the, with, with the language. Wow, ang anger's arising. Oh, thank you. <laughs> 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 Thank you very much. <laughs> Drive safely. Tip your waitresses. I'll be appearing here all week. Sit down comedy. <laughs> Michael, I've been trying to plug into your teaching something that happened while you were out before you, uh, before you came back into the room. Tonight, and that is that I, I pulled a chair out, um, and every single chair fell down. Bang, I missed bang, it. Bang, bang, bang. You missed it, and it was such an amazing moment because in times gone by, total embarrassment would have arisen. I mean, it would have been right. Oh, yeah. And instead, that the, the um, my audience connected with the song yeah. audience, and it was like, 
Yeah. <laughs> that is so great. Did, did anybody like chime in and say, yeah, go ahead, put that anywhere? <laughs> That's priceless. It was just, it was a great moment. And sure. It, and when you showed Kevin Costner going like this, yeah. it was. Exactly. Awesome. Well, and, and I don't know if, if, what's really cool is when sanghas themselves start to be able to deal with those types of, uh, uh, beatific interruptions. <laughs> you know, when, when sanghas themselves actually, you know, can, can handle, they don't, people don't tense up when somebody, like for instance, has an emotional experience and they're sitting. Or, uh, you know, somebody slips and falls. I mean, people are there to help, but it's like, oh, okay, they're all right. And right back in. And it's a really, it's a really neat thing. Um, what a neat little test. Yeah. We should plant it now and then. <laughs> <laughs> Don't show up late. <laughs> you guys. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I met with you in Dopus Salon mm -hmm. a month ago for the first time. Yeah. Questions that didn't make me feel too stupid. <laughs> yeah. I'm not laughing. No, I, I'm sorry. No, the, re the reason why I am is because that's the most common. Everybody wants to appear clever. Not, oh my God, what an ego, Eddie, that is, you know. I thought about when I said that, I said, I don't want to say that as a laugh line, but I knew it would get a laugh. Yeah. But anyway. Um, <clears throat> and I have the feeling that the answer to a lot of questions is keep practicing. And when we talked, you said, well, the primary purpose of a teacher is to keep you going in the direct, correct direction and tell you if you're going way off and get you back to the right yeah. direction. Yeah. Well. <clears throat> are there some kinds of questions that are better than others for doing that kind of thing? Yes. All right. Yes, there are. The first, there, there are a couple levels of questions that I think are most helpful in Dokusan. Or I, I really liked somebody in our sangha actually said, "Well, why don't we call it an interview?" Which I like. I really like that. An interview, not inter. Although it is inter. Well, still, you get the idea. The interview. Uh, those questions. The there are the there are the questions that are about the teaching. A question about, you said, Michael, or I was reading the Lotus Sutra and it said, or I was reading whatever. It, questions that are really kind of concretized that you might, you might think of, you, you might have written them down, actually. Those are like level one questions, okay? Um, and those usually apply to someone who's kind of taking a mind approach to this. You know, they're, they're you know, they're really kind of caught. They, they, or they're, they're anxious to know. And then the level two question is usually related to personal experience of some kind. Okay? This has been going on. All right? How does that correspond with the teaching? You know? But bringing it back to the teaching. Okay? Bringing it back to the teaching. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great example of kind of a level two question. And then the level three question is 
is when you have no idea what you're going to bring into the room. You sign up for Dokusan because you know something's going to happen. And you have no idea what's going to happen. And then those spontaneous questions, okay, those spontaneous questions usually work wonders. They, they help us get unstuck. They help us get back, back on the path. They help that fire burn brighter. And then there's one last, I should say, the f level four. Level four question is the question you're willing to die for. And they begin to show up the more we practice. The more stillness that comes into our life, the more there is kind of this question that begins to just tear us apart with its beauty. And when you bring that in, amazing things happen. So those four questions, those four styles of questions, kind of the, the, uh, the, the mind-oriented, superficial, so to speak. I don't, I don't like saying superficial, but they're specific to the teaching. Then there is the, there's specific to the life, okay? And then there is the kind that you're not even sure, you're not sure what's going to happen, but you go in there and you meet me with total spontaneity and fearlessness. And then the last one is the one that you're willing to die for. They all are helpful. They all are help The ones that, 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 actually, I don't think I've ever really run into questions that aren't helpful. But what happens is people, the ones that get in the way or we just kind of have to sift through and weed through as, as a partnership in that meeting are the ones that are basically, well, I believe, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. You know? A testimonial about how you have uncovered something, you know, and, and basically all that's all that's doing is it's keeping the meeting from happening. It's again the appearance of cleverness. It's it's ego just doing his or her little dance that prevents, you know, prevents any type any type of awakening. So it's it's on the one hand very very serious. This is serious business. On the other hand, it's totally spontaneous. So it's the humor is underneath all of it. But those that's a that's a basic basic way of looking at the kind of questions that you can take to any teacher, any teacher. They'll help you stay true on the path. Thanks so much for coming tonight. Appreciate it.